You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. But over the long haul, we regret inactions more than actions, 84 to 16%. Do not come to the end of your life and have to say, I wish I had more courage for the Lord. I wish I had more courage to step out by faith in the things he was moving me inside by his spirit, the things he was challenging me with in his word. Don't come to the end of your life and say, I wish I had the courage. What things have you been called to do by the Lord? Are you doing them? If not, is it fear that holds you back? Today, Pastor Danny challenges you to be courageous and warns you from holding back. Life's not easy, and the things that God will ask of you won't be easy either. But through His strength and courage, you're capable of anything. Listen for God's will. Ask Him to make clear to you the goals that He has. Allow the Holy Spirit to guide your actions toward those goals and become a servant to the kingdom. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Joshua chapter 13 as he begins his message, Lessons from an Old Giant Killer. We're going to Joshua 13 this morning, but we got several stops along the way. So go with me to a couple of different places. One is Joshua chapter 12. And in Joshua chapter 12, there's a list of the kings and the peoples that Israel had defeated uh, with Moses leading them during the 40 years in the wilderness. And two of these are noteworthy. Verse 2, Sihon, king of the Amorites. Uh, We'll mention something very significant about the Amorites in just a minute. The second is verse 4, and the territory of Og, king of Bashan. Why are these noteworthy? Well, if you go back to Joshua 2, remember years later when Joshua sent the spies into the promised land, they lodged at the place uh, or the home of Rahab the prostitute. And Rahab the prostitute said to these spies, chapter 2 of Joshua, verse 10, we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And that was significant because Sihon and Og weren't just ordinary kings. If you're a note taker, you can write down Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 11, for the three or four note takers in the crowd. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 11, here's what it tells us. It tells us the size of Og, King Og's bed. And when you know the size of his bed, you know something about Og, because his bed was 
13 and a half feet long and six feet wide. All of a sudden, my king mattress at home seems rather small. We know because of the size of his bed, he's a big dude. More than just a big dude, he's a giant. And that's why Rahab and the people of Jericho were so amazed that Israel destroyed Sihon and Og. They were giants among giants. Another little note, if you want to write down, Amos chapter 2, verse 9. Amos chapter 2, verse 9, here's what it says. The Lord's speaking, I destroyed the Amorite among them. Though he was as tall as the cedars and strong as oaks. These were big, bad dudes. And Sihon and Og were defeated on the east side of the Jordan under Moses' leadership during the wandering in the wilderness. The giants on the other side of the Jordan in what's called the promised land were bigger, badder, and more numerous. Numbers chapter 13. When Moses sent out the 12 spies to check out the land of promise. Chapter 13, verse 26 says, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh. Then they reported to them to the, and to the whole assembly and they showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land of which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Anak, we know, was also a giant. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites, and we know the Amorites were giants, live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses, and he said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. Pause. Note taker. Genesis 6. Mysterious verse, still debated today among scholars as to who is talking about? The sons of God had romantic relationships with the daughters of men, and the product of their relationship were giants, the Nephilim. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim, giants. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Joshua joins Caleb in his courage, and in his faith. But it doesn't get him very far. You're looking at it, right? Numbers chapter 14 now. Numbers chapter 14. That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. What? Or in this desert... Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? 
Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? No. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. In other words, we need a new pastor. Let's get rid of Moses and Aaron. Associate pastor goes with him. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelites. Assembly gathered there. Joshua and Caleb, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. They said to the entire Israelite, Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He'll give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And with those continuing words of faith and courage, the first part of verse 10, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Really? We need to get rid of the pastor. The associate pastor goes with him, and let's kill these two radical guys. Wow. With that backdrop... Go with me to Joshua chapter 13. Joshua and Caleb do not get stoned by the people. They survive, and I'm not too sure they were happy about that because if they had been stoned, <laughs> they'd have gone to heaven. As it is, they don't get stoned, and they have to wander in the wilderness with a faithless bunch of people for 40 years. How hard that must have been. But they do it. The end of 40 years, Moses dies. After Moses dies, guess who the new pastor is? Joshua. Joshua leads them now across the Jordan River where they could have gone 40 years before if they had the faith and the courage to do it. They go into the land of promise with Joshua as their new leader. They have victory after victory after victory, but despite the string of victories, there's still land to be taken. There's still... Giants to be faced and conquered and defeated. And you get to sections like this, and if you got any life in you at all, you read uh, verses like Joshua chapter 13 in the opening, and you got to just chuckle. You got to just chuckle. What do you mean? Listen to it. Listen to it. When Joshua was old and well advanced in years, the Lord said to him, You're very old. A few years ago, a guy in the church. After Saturday night service gave me this T-shirt. The T-shirt's getting old now, and I know you can't read what's there. It's a little bigger on the back, and I know you still can't read it from there, so let me tell you what it says. It says, old guys rule. Somebody gives you a T-shirt like that, you have mixed emotions. <laughs> like, thank you. What are you trying to say? It was months later, wearing the T-shirt, that I actually read underneath the old guy's rule in even smaller letters that it's hard for older people to read. Here's what it says underneath there, on permanent vacation. And I thought, that would be so nice. Joshua, you're an old dude. Well advanced in years. You're very old. And there's still very large areas of land to be taken over. There's still work to be done. There's still land to be taken. There's still giants to be faced. Now, you're going to have to trust me on this. And if you're reading 
along with us during the week, you know what I'm about to say is true. If we had time to read all of the context of that opening statement in Joshua 13 verse 1, we know what the Lord is not saying to Joshua. He is not saying, you're old. And even though there's a lot of work still to be done, you're not the guy. He's not saying that. What he's saying is exactly the opposite. He is saying, despite your age, there's still a lot of work to be done. There's still giants to be faced. His compadre, 40 years earlier, Caleb, oh, you just love these guys. You go over now to Joshua chapter 14, and you look at verse 6. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh, about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you follow the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years. Since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. Stop and think about that. I don't think he's talking physically. He's 85 years old. I think he's talking spiritually. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now, give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day, 45 years before. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there, giants. And their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. I love this guy. And then Joshua blessed Caleb. And he gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb ever since. Because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Don't miss the parenthesis in verse 15. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. He was a bad giant among big, bad giants. One more little section. Chapter 15, verse 13. In accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the forefather of Anak, a giant. From Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, and now we have their names, three of the many giants, Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, descendants of Anak. I'm preparing this thing the other day, and I'm starting to flesh it out on my notes, and I said to my wife on Thursday, as it's starting to come together, I said, this message is for me, Caleb, and Joshua. But we're honing in on Caleb this morning. Let me tell you what Caleb was not doing. He was not looking at his 401k and checking out his retirement options. He was looking to take down some giants. I love these stories. I'm challenged by these stories. I don't want to come to the end of my life. I want to be like Caleb. I hope you do. 
I want to be like Joshua. I finally learned how to do PowerPoint, but this morning, I just want to use the whiteboard. Welcome to class. Maybe it's because I'm a seasoned saint that I like the whiteboard. As you look at the life of Caleb, as I look at the life of Caleb, I'm encouraged, but I'm also challenged in a very good way. Here's some of the things I learned from his life I'm being challenged by. He was a man of courage. And if you're worth your salt for Jesus Christ, it'll take courage. I'm not just talking about standing in the world for Jesus Christ. I'm talking about standing in the church for Jesus Christ. It'll take courage. I don't know if this name means anything. If I can say it correctly, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He was a Russian novelist, historian, and back in the day, he was an outspoken critic of the Soviet Union and communism. And to do that, it takes courage. Let me read you one of the things he said. Must one point out that from ancient times, a decline in courage has been considered the beginning of the end. I love Mark Batterson's books, I think he's a great author. He tells great stories, makes great points. And I've read everything he's put out and anything he puts out now, I'll read. And one of the books he put out is called If. If. Great book. Let me read you a couple of things he says in this book called If. There are 1,784 ifs in the Bible. Most of those ifs function as conditional conjunctions on the front end of God's promises. If we meet the condition, God delivers on the promise. But if you don't meet the condition, no fulfillment of the promise. And then he says on this page, at the end of your life, your greatest regret won't be the things you did but wish you hadn't. Your greatest regret will be the things you didn't do, but wish you had. Study done by two social psychologists says, according to their research, time is a key factor in what we regret. In the short term, we tend to regret actions more than inactions by a count of 53 to 47%. In other words, we feel acute regret over the mistakes we've made. But over the long haul, we regret inactions more than actions 84 to 16%. Do not come to the end of your life and have to say, I wish I had more courage for the Lord. I wish I had more courage to step out by faith in the things he was moving me inside by his spirit, the things he was challenging me with in his word. Don't come to the end of your life and say, I wish I had the courage. Caleb was a man of courage. Joshua was a man of great courage. And I'll tell you the second thing I learned from Caleb. Not just courage. You talk about perseverance. (laughs) Perseverance has to do with time. Caleb's one of the 12 spies. He goes into the promised land. He sees the great things God has there. But they're giants. He comes back. And because of the faithlessness of the majority, he and Joshua have to wander in the wilderness with a faithless congregation for 45 years. But God had promised him. God had promised him. 
The land you put your feet on when you went in as one of those spies, one day it'll be yours and your family's. And he persevered for 45 years before he ever got to experience the fulfillment of God's promise to him. I'm impressed. I'm challenged. And as I thought about it, I thought about what that perseverance meant, practically speaking. For example, God took me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and he refers to the failure of the people during the wilderness wandering. He says in verse 6, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And then he mentions some of the things they failed in. Don't be idolaters as some of them were. Don't let anything or anyone become more important to you than God. Don't commit sexual immorality as some of them did. It's rampant in our culture and rampant in the church. Don't fail there. And if you have, repent. Get right with God. It's not a very seeker-sensitive comment. That's because I'm not seeker-sensitive. I'm God-sensitive. Doesn't mean I don't care about new people in the church. Don't test the Lord as some of them did. They tested him by repeated failure. They never would learn the lessons. And, and God finally said, I've had enough. And he sent snakes among them. <laughs> and you're going to love the last one. And don't grumble. Watch your mouth. Now, let me as the pastor of this church just take a moment and address that. Because I don't want to keep trying to put out brush fires. Because the honeymoon's over here. The honeymoon's over here. And now we're starting to get organized, and now we're starting to add staff. And guess what? Now that we're getting organized and starting to add staff, now the real test of getting along with one another comes. People not agreeing with certain decisions. People not... Uh, having a real good time with certain personalities and, de and dealing with that. And that, guess what? Welcome to real life. Welcome to the church. Joshua and Caleb had to persevere for 45 years in personal holiness, not getting off into the sins that other people were getting off in. And they had to persevere in not complaining. And they had plenty to complain about. They could have been in the land of promise 45 years before all these faithless people. And don't forget, these are people that wanted to get rid of the pastor and the associate pastor and the two radical guys that were filled with courage and faith. And Joshua and Caleb had to hang out with these guys for 45 years. You tell me that wasn't a relational challenge. Perseverance has to do with time. But here's what else you learn from these guys. They had amazing patience with people, I would be an absolutely great pastor if it weren't for the people. <laughs> Listen to this. James chapter 5. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. After years of his suffering, and part of his suffering, suffering included his best friends giving him counsel and trying to tell him all the reasons why all the bad things were happening to him. And all of a sudden, the relationships he had were strained and in some ways severed. And Job had to, Job had to be patient and persevere 
Not just with his circumstances and his suffering, but with the people around him. Thanks for joining us today to study the Old Testament on the Living Word. You may have thought that this section of the Bible isn't relevant in a world that Jesus has redeemed, but we hope through this study that you've changed your opinion. There's plenty to learn from Old Testament books, the people within, and the ways that God reveals Himself. The God you meet in the Old Testament is the same one who created you, and the same one who's governing your life right now. If you'd like to explore more teachings from this Gleanings from the Old Testament series, you can find them online at ccfstpete.church. Just click on Sermons. You'll be redirected to our YouTube page, where you can watch a number of teachings from Calvary Chapel Fellowship and subscribe to our channel. Come connect with us on social media as well. You'll find The Living Word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you'll be able to jump into the conversations there. If you happen to be in the St. Petersburg area, we'd love to meet you. You're invited to join us for our weekly services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. We're excited to welcome you into our family of faith. You'll find directions and more information at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. That's all we have for today. Tune in next time for more on The Living Word.